want to invite you to find your seats. We'll have time after the service for refreshments and extended fellowship. Glad that, uh, I'm just glad that we are a community that really loves one another and is uh, really committed to know one another as well. My name is Dan Song. I'm the pastor here at Crossroads. And if you've been with us at all during this summer, we've been going through our series in the Psalms, Summer in the Psalms. And uh, one of the really neat things that we've been also doing in companion with our sermon series is that our women's ministry has been doing a Psalms Bible study. And they meet Monday nights, and they look at the passage that we will preach the following Sunday. And so they met last Monday and looked at Psalm 19 and studied together. So if you're at all interested, talk to Jenny Lynn, and she will more than be happy to get you in and let you know where it is every Monday night. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19. And if you don't, and you're using one of the church Bibles that are provided for you under the chair in front of you, you could turn to page 456, and that's where we're going to find our psalm this morning from Psalm 19. It's a beautiful psalm, uh, one that sort of begins to touch on uh, what I preached on a few weeks ago in Psalm 3, or sorry, Psalm 13, about the beauty of God's creation. And so today, we'll look at more on the second half of the chapter, uh, but we have Jenny Lynn, our adult director uh, who'll read this passage for us this morning. Follow along with me. This is Psalm 19, to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and your word is truly our delight. And though we get um, distracted, uh, though our hearts long and yearn for other things, Lord, I pray that this morning we might be able to experience you, to know you deeper than we have before coming in. Won't you do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Knowing God. Now, if I were to ask you this morning how you get to know somebody in your life, whether a stranger, a coworker, a friend, 
How would you get to know somebody? It's not just by looking at a picture or by just staring at someone that you could get to know somebody. You actually have to talk, right? You ask them what their favorite color is or their favorite place to eat, what their hobbies are. And then as you begin to exchange information and hear the things that they're passionate about, you begin to know them more deeply and more personally. One of the most interesting things for me that I, I like to share often, and if, I, if you already know this story, I apologize, but when Hannah and I started dating, uh, we would go out to dinner, we would go to museums, uh, we would do whatever we would, we would want to do, um, watch movies, but one time I finally got to go over to her house, and when we, go, we went into her house, she took off her shoes, and she shrunk about three inches. And I did not know that she was 5'1". Just staring at her, I always thought she was about 5'4", five 5'5". Five five. Like, that's a great height. <laughs> and trust me, I would still love her if she shrunk another three inches. But I did not know she was 5'1", because I didn't ask her. I didn't know how tall she was. Or I just didn't pay attention like a guy does, or doesn't, that she was wearing platforms that were about three or four inches tall. In that same way, I think just by looking at someone and not talking, there's no way that you could actually get to know somebody. You just can't assume you know someone by looking at them. There's still a lot of miscommunication that can happen. And that's the question for us this morning. How do we get to know God? Maybe another way to ask it is, how has God revealed himself to us? So that we might know him. For maybe the younger folks in this room, um, I've given these two pictures and they're optical illusions, very famous ones. But the first one, look at this. What animal do you see? Do you see a, who sees a bunny? Who sees a duck? More people see ducks here. Next one. Do you see a woman, a younger woman, or do you see an older woman? Who sees an older woman? Who sees a younger woman? And all this to say, when we look at pictures, they communicate something, but they can still be miscommunicated in how we see things. You could go to the art museum here, one of the most underrated things in St. Louis, I think. And you look at paintings, beautiful paintings by different people. And yes, they communicate beauty they create that it's an artist that actually painted it you can infer different things from the way they painted from the techniques they used but ultimately if we really want to know what the artist is conveying and wants to communicate to the viewer we need to hear from that person right and in that same way here this morning we have this opportunity to look at how God has revealed himself and how we can know who God is. And here in the first six verses, what God seems to be saying to us is that he has communicated and revealed himself through creation. And if you want to get into theology, it's this special term called general revelation. God has made himself known through creation, through his mighty power, through his existence. 
that there are things that we can know about God just by looking outside and seeing the beautiful sunset, by going to the bluffs and looking through or over the river, going to the Grand Canyon, to the world, to the different places that we look, and we see God's creation, and there are things that God has made known to us about him. But that's not enough, like pictures and other things, that there are things that can be miscommunicated by just creation itself. And so there's this other term called special revelation that God has given to us. And it is God's revelation to us through his word, through the scriptures that we are reading. And this is how we fully know who God is through his word in this thing called special revelation. And in verses 7 through 10, we get that. And then the rest of 11 through 14 is the psalmist's response, David's response to the beauty of God's revelation to us. How does he respond? Now, I alluded to how three weeks ago I looked at Psalm 13 of God's beauty of creation, right? I showed you all these different stars and this world, and I gave you the different illustrations of grain and sand. Today, what I'd rather do is look at this second portion of how God has revealed to us through special revelation, through his word, the importance of how we know him through scripture. And so if you want to know about more of creation, you can go back to the sermon. We have it on the website. We have it on our podcast. But this morning, I want us to focus on this idea that God has revealed himself to us through this word, through verses 7 through 14. And there's four things I want us to look at of God's word for us this morning. So four things, it's not your classical three, so we'll fly through these a little bit. But first, I actually had six, and last night I whittled it down to four. I was trying to get to three, but I couldn't. So first is this, God's word is personal. God's word is personal. Now where do we see this? Well, in verse one, we see the word God, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, this general revelation of who God is through creation. And that word God is actually in the Hebrew is El. Not even Elohim, but El. And it is the most generic word used for the name of God. And from there, as the psalmist David talks about this general revelation through creation, as soon as he goes to verse 7 and begins to talk about this special revelation through God's word, he changes God's name from El, God, to Lord, Yahweh. And why that's so significant is because Yahweh was the personal name for God's people. It was God's name for his steadfast love, his commitment to his people that he will never abandon them, but he will be faithful to them for generation upon generation upon generation. When Moses saw God in the burning bush and met God in the burning bush, what does God say? He says, I am sent you to go to Egypt to let my people go free. It is a name that is most personal for God's people. And here, as God declares himself and reveals himself through God's word, David intentionally goes to this personal, intimate word for God, Yahweh, 
It's used seven times in verses 7 through 14, 7, 8, 9, and 14. It is used seven times. And this frequency, as one commentator says, serves to heighten the emotional tone of the poem's second half. In essence, it is this God who is of love and grace. And we can know him personally when he speaks to us through scripture. You see, nature and pictures and his creation can be confusing. It can be misinterpreted. We see the sunsets like I talked about and the beauty of creation, but also at the same time, we see the volcanic destruction that can happen in Hawaii. We can see tornadoes just tear through homes. And that doesn't, in, in, in one sense, communicate God's love and his intimacy and his steadfast love for his people and his commitment. But when we go to his word, we see how absolutely he is committed to us, his people. I think in other ways, we, sometimes we get confused because we look at scripture and we see laws, rules, regulations. We see moral do's and don'ts. But let me challenge you here. Even when David talks about the law, he's just talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And sometimes we can get bogged down with things like uh, the commandments and these laws in Leviticus that feel like a bunch of moral do's and don'ts. But if you were to take a step back, even with the Pentateuch, what's actually happening there? It's this overarching story of God's love for his people. That in Genesis 1 and 2, you see that he loved his creation. He made us in his image. Even with the Ten Commandments, it's Exodus 20. You see the first Ten Commandments, but before the Ten Commandments are given of what we are supposed to do to be a people who would flourish, what does God say? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, the entire scriptures are of God's personal, steadfast love and commitment to us. It's a love story for his people. And that's the first thing we have to see in the scriptures. And for us being on this side of the cross, we see the beauty of what God has done, right? Through the creation, through our sin and the fall, distorting all of creation, including us. But then what happens? Through the gospel, Christ sends Jesus. And it's that ultimate sacrifice of his love for us on the cross that we are restored, we are renewed, and we can be in fellowship with Christ. Though we saw him as an enemy, he still initiated and pursued us from the beginning. You see, it's a love story for us. God's word is so significant. It is inseparably bound to God himself. So what is God's word for you? Is it a heavy burden? Do you look at the word of God and go, it's just a bunch of morals, do's and don'ts, a bunch of legalities that burden us 
and prevent us from experiencing the beauty and richness of who God is. If you want to know him, you will experience this personal love and grace and unconditional pursuit of us through the scriptures. It's absolutely personal. Which I think brings us to the second point, which is God's word is delectable. It's the best word I could come up with. I thought it maybe delight, but it's delectable. It's beautiful. Laws and rules are only enforced by coercion and guilt. But here, David says it's by the delight and joy of the law of God. It's his joy and his, it's his delight. Do we view the Bible as David does? I think it's only because of the first point that he can actually say the second point. It's only because God's word is so personal that it is also delectable. <coughs> Just listen to these words. Close your eyes for a moment. Let me do an exercise. Close your eyes and listen to these words that are described and tell me what you think of. Because I think as you begin to hear these words, you will go to the things that you love and that you find delectable. <coughs> it revives the soul. It makes you wise. Your heart rejoices. Your eyes are enlightened. It's better than fine gold. Sweeter than honey. Now open your eyes. Where does your mind go to? As a staff, we met this week, and I can't say some of the things that our staff came up with, but where do you, what do you think of? Is it relationships? To be married? Is it sports? As James led us this morning and reminded me that at 10 o'clock that the World Cup began, my heart sunk a little when I found that the time was 10 a.m. <laughs> and the fact that Wimbledon also was happening this morning. Is it sports? Is it food? <coughs> what is it for you? I think for a lot of us, it would be hard for us to say it is the word of God that revives my soul, that gives me joy, that is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than, the, he even describes it even further, the dripping from a honeycomb. I mean, you just get that visual picture. But here, David is able to say it is absolutely beautiful, delectable. It's a delight. There's nothing else in this world that revives his soul. When you come back from a crummy day from work, or a horrible conflict with your spouse, or even children, whatever it might be, where do you go to? What revives your soul from a horrible day at work or in the home? David says this is what revives his soul. It is absolutely his joy. And why? Because it is the word of God. That is, look at these adjectives. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right, pure, clean, righteous. Think about those words. 
in today's time and in our culture, aren't these the things that we are looking for, that we are craving for? Things that are perfect, not deficient in any way, that are sure or trustworthy, that actually correspond to our reality and where we live today, that is right. That word right is more like a straight edge. It's like a ruler. So it's something that you put, you set aside, you set next to something to, to, to measure up to, to whether it actually stands the test of whether something is right or wrong. Something that is pure, what's the opposite of pure? It's corrupt. And what does corruption do? It decays, right? So what we think about pure is it endures forever. I mean, when you talk to people today, your workplace or your neighbor, your friend, we long for justice. We long, we long for purity. We long for perfection and right and clean. And we go to all different things to find that. But hear what David is saying. It's in the word of God that we actually find what we're looking for. Do we find and do we view scripture in this way? Because as we do, it gives us, it gives us the words, it gives us the ability to be able to go to our neighbors, to our communities, to our workplaces, to offer something that is absolutely more beautiful and more delectable than what they are searching for. Because God is found in his word. He, re he reveals himself here, clearly. And David offers this to us, so that we might imagine something so much greater than anything that of this material world here on earth. The third thing we see here is that God's word is confessional. It's confessional. These last two points actually drive us to that last portion of how David responds to God's word. Of how he not only responds, but how he reacts. What does the word of God do to him? And the first thing we see, it's, it's confessional. He's aware as he looks at the word of God. He's aware of, his, of sin's nature and its complexity. Right? Look at the three ways he describes his own sin in verse 12. He calls it error. He calls them hidden faults. And lastly, in verse 13, he calls it presumptuous sins. Errors. There's those little things that though we might just brush off, are still add up to our, our deficiency before the Lord. Hidden faults. It's those things that we don't even know that we do. It could be the way we're wired, our personality. It could be just our blind spots. It's those things that are hidden from us, but yet we are still without fault. Or we are with fault. And then lastly, there's presumptuous sins. It's the willful sins. Or these great transgressions that we commit. And David goes from the small things to the great transgressions to even the things that are, we're blind to that we don't even know we are committing. And he confesses them before the Lord. And I think about why this is so important is the word of God keeps us humble. James talks about how the word of God is like a mirror, right? 
We need that mirror to be able to see our flaws, to be able to see our brokenness, to see our sin in the ways that we do not measure up to the Lord and his ways and how he has called us to be. But when we don't have that mirror, we don't know. And we are puffed up in our head and in our hearts. But the word of God leads them to confession. And it's when we lack confession that we get puffed up and arrogant. And we think we are greater than our God. But here, the word of God puts us in our place. A good place. Not in a negative sense. But a place where we understand who we are who God has called us to be, how he's created us, the mission that he's called us to. And as he renews us in our heart through the word of God, we know him more deeply, more intimately. And we love him more. We love our neighbors more. And we live a life of confession day in and day out. One commentator said this, the psalmist also knows that he can never be fully aware of these sins in order to seek forgiveness unless God reveals their presence to him by God's word. I think that sums up well this idea of how God's word is confessional. Paul Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, I know some of the uh, One Discipleship group is reading through that. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Right? We want to avoid God as much as possible for living in sin. But it's as we confront God and who he is, we live lives of confession. The last thing we see here is that God's word is formational. God's word is formational. If you look at verse 14, read this with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The ESV translates that word acceptable in your sight. Acceptable. The NIV, I grew up in the NIV, and it's pleasing. But both of those words, acceptable, pleasing, those words were used for sacrifices in the Old Testament. So as you would offer a sacrifice, you would pray, may this be acceptable, pleasing before you. And what is David doing? In reaction and response to God's word and his revelation, he's saying, I want to live a life of sacrifice for you. That as I find your word personal, delectable, confessional, what is the last thing that I'm left to do? I want to be formed and shaped by your word so that I might be able to be a blessing to the world. It is absolutely formational for you and for me. In other words, God, knowing God through the scriptures, God's word being revealed to us causes us to live our lives as a sacrifice to God and neighbor. And I think that's exactly what the word of God compels us to do. We want to go and bring about transformation and restoration in the lives of others because of who God is, God is and what he has come to do. That our mouths and our hearts will be so saturated with the word of God that everything that comes out of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts will be filled with him and his word and his scriptures. There are so many words that vie for our attention, right? Or there are so many words that also 
conflict with the Word of God. It's the way we grew up, the things that our parents said about you, the things that your friends have said that have formed who you are to live lives of shame and guilt, that you are a loser, that you're no good, that you're a failure. And those words vie for our attention in good ways and in bad ways. But as we are saturated in the Word of God, that the Word of God may be pleasing in His eyes, it is ultimately this Word and His truth, who He is, that will ultimately form us and transform us to believe what is actually true about us. That though we are broken, though we are sinful, Though the worst is known about us, love is still offered to us. Isn't that the greatest hope? And though the world might speak all these things into our hearts, it is actually the word of God as we are filled that actually begin to transform us and shape us into who we are. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is what the word of God does for you and for me. As I close, share a story about Helen Keller. I didn't know this. I read this in a story that a pastor wrote. But we all are familiar with Helen Keller. And she was a little girl who was blind, deaf, but was also unable to speak. And there was this woman, Anne Sullivan, who basically came into her life and persisted in teaching her how to communicate. First by writing letters on her hand, then by reading Braille. And she even taught her how to speak by the age of 10. But shortly after, around 11 or 12, Helen Keller was introduced to this man, this Episcopal pastor from Boston named Phillips Brooks. And Phillips Brooks began by sitting knee to knee with her, face to face, and would begin to write letters on her hand telling her the story of Jesus. And as she began to tell the story of Jesus, suddenly one day she stood up and croaked out, I knew him, I knew him. I just didn't know his name. You see, she knew him. She knew Jesus. She knew he was there, but only in the shadows. It took Phyllis Brooks proclaiming the story from Scripture for it to click for her. The shadows that she knew in that dark and quiet world became clear through the light of Scripture as it was proclaimed to her. If it was so for her, would it also be for us? You see, here's the thing. The world, our friends, our coworkers, they long for something greater. They look into creation. Even as they look into their hearts and search, they know that there is something greater. And we have the opportunity to bring truth to bear in their lives. But we need to be first immersed saturated in God's word that you believe that his word is personal delectable confessional 
and that is ultimately formational for you and for me so that we might be a blessing into our communities, into our neighborhoods. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, Lord, your word will stand forever. It will endure. It is pure. It is right. It is clean. It is true. And so, Lord, as our world searches for that, Lord, I pray that we might be the first to be saturated with the word of God so that we might be a blessing to the world around us. Lord, may we love your word more and more every single day. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.